the hard shoulder on News Talk with Nissan Subscribe and Drive. No deposit, no compromise, no fuss. Find out more at Nissan.ie. This is the Heart Shoulder. Kieran Cudahy with you until 7 o'clock. Delighted to welcome to the show Dr. Robert Kelly, consultant cardiologist and lifestyle medicine expert at the Beacon Hospital. Uh, tomorrow, Robert, is World Heart Health Day. So it is uh, timely that we're speaking to you. And a huge amount of people have gotten in touch uh, with questions, some really interesting questions. Uh, so if it's quite all right with you, we might jump straight into them. Uh, this one comes in from a listener who describes themselves as a 53-year-old perimenopausal woman, what heart health checks would be essential for me to ensure there is nothing wrong with my heart health? I have high cholesterol and normal blood pressure. Thank you, Kieran. So in this patient, um, we run a cardiology clinic service here at the hospital, which deals exactly with this. So the patient comes and has uh, some questions about symptoms. We go through their risk factors, such as their cholesterol, their blood pressure, whether they have diabetes, whether there's a family history of any heart complaint. So I think this lady may have a cholesterol complaint. And then every patient will have a stress test, uh, an ultrasound of the heart, um, and then we'll decide if they need any other tests based on what we find. And they all get seen by the doctor on the day, and we go through a, a plan of, of, of either treatment or whether other tests are, are needed. So sometimes people need a scan called a CAT scan, which is a great non-invasive test that tells you if you have any plaque or any buildup of plaque in the arteries. That's very good at identifying a risk for something like a heart attack. All right, okay. But that uh, that consultation, that initial consultation, the first step. Uh, uh, so I hope that that answers your question. Uh, and we we have another question in here because you mentioned about cholesterol, and it's from Kevin and Cork. I'm 37. I'm I have a slim build, and I'm active, and I have a good diet. But my cholesterol is 8.4. Should I be worried, and what can I do to lower it? So Kevin, a good diet is the first question. I'd love to know what that means to you. Um, and I think the important thing with your cholesterol is that the cholesterol comes in different fragments. So your total cholesterol of 8.4 is very alarming. However, the cholesterol has bad bits and it has good bits. And so we like to know what the good bit is like, because if the good bit is very high, it'll sometimes make up for having lots of bad cholesterol. The important number in the cholesterol is what the LDL cholesterol is. So if the LDL cholesterol is over three, assuming you don't have a heart problem, that's something that's important. But the assumption is that you don't have a family history of high cholesterol because some families in Ireland have very high cholesterol levels and that can be treated very specifically with a very specific type of medication. If you have symptoms, very slight symptoms, which you may not identify, well, then something like the CAT scan test I mentioned on the last patient is extremely useful because if you don't have plaque in your arteries, then your risk of a heart event is much lower. So it gives us more time to say, well, let's try the diet. Let's just see if what mm. you think is good eating is the right stuff. And if the diet doesn't work and we're of any concerns, then we can have a discussion around medication as to whether you need to take something. And, and listen, I, I don't know what Kevin and Cork's diet is, so I'm not talking about him. But do, do you often find that where people do come in and they might tell you, I've got a great diet, I eat well. And then, you know, as you poke and prod and ask a few more questions, you realize their understanding of a healthy diet is not exactly yours. Absolutely. I, I had a patient recently, Kieran, who decided he'd go on the internet and find everything that he thought was good for him. And he explained to me that he was eating turmeric. He had come across all these products that you could take that would be great for your heart. That's what he thought a good diet was. Uh, and the irony is that a good diet is a really obvious diet. And the, the Mediterranean diet is the best diet in this part of the world for managing all health. 
because actually it reduces your risk of heart disease, cancer, strokes, you name it. And the diet is very simple. It's about eating more vegetables, small amount of fruit, uh, taking plenty of exercise, eating less red meat, more chicken, more fish. Uh, it even allows the Irish person to have a glass of wine with their meal. It allows you to have a cup of coffee. So it's a very tolerable diet to most people. Some people like vegetarian options. That's also a very well-recognized, very good diet for health. All the other diets are largely fad diets. Uh, so there is, you know, it's all about not eating too much food. A little bit of everything, as I say, is good for you. Well, listen, I hope Kevin is still listening and he gets some uh, interesting answers out of that and is pointed in the right direction. Orla is on the line. Uh, 1894-53106 is the number. Orla, you've got a, a quick question. What is it? Hi, how are you? Um, I'm just inquiring of the cardiologist. Has he, he seen any um, increase in cardiac issues in people after receiving their COVID vaccine? Orla, thanks for that question. So, Orla, that's a great question. So I personally have seen a lot of patients who, following on from the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine, have come in with symptoms like palpitations, some with shortness of breath, some with chest pain, usually quite soon after they've received the vaccine. There is a side effect with the vaccine which causes inflammation of the heart muscle, a condition called myocarditis, which we often see after other viral infections. But in this setting, it's a little bit different. And some patients are very symptomatic. And some people require treatment with medication to treat the inflammation. And some people, like you described, like yourself, where you may feel the heart is racing when you do things, uh, also may require you to take some medication for a period of time to allow the inflammation to wear off. You'll also need a particular test, which is called an MRI scan of your heart, which you need a cardiologist to order. But the one thing I'll say to you is that the myocarditis tends to settle of itself. The medications are prescribed to get you through a period of time to let the symptoms settle down. And if you know anybody who's had the other illness, which is after COVID, some people have COVID that's persisted, which is the long COVID illness. As a cardiologist, you see very, very similar symptoms. It's treated in very much the same way. And I personally have had great outcomes in terms of getting patients to take changes in lifestyle around taking a better approach to sleeping at night. Again, what you're eating to minimize sugar in particular. And then there's a very strict guideline about returning to exercise, which actually has you taking the smallest steps rather than trying to run as fast as you might use to run before. All right. A good question from Orla. A good answer as well, Orla. I, I, I hope uh, you're happy with it. Uh, this is an interesting one for you, Robert. Can the heart recover from cocaine use? My teenage son had a serious problem with this destructive substance, but has stopped a year ago. But now he's always breathless and I see him holding his chest at times. And I'm worried about the long term effects of his previous drug abuse. And that is a sign from a concerned parent. So I'm delighted to hear that your son has stopped using cocaine. I know that cocaine is now a really problematic issue across all age groups and all social classes in the country. I recall when I was training, I came across a 28-year-old man who came in with a heart attack who had been taking a lot of cocaine for a long period of time in his life who literally had no coronary arteries left at all. Um, but the point is for your son is there's always a possibility that things can improve and potentially reverse with time, but he absolutely has to stay off cocaine. It's also important that those people who still use cocaine should realize that cocaine can cause your heart to stop and you can drop dead from it, that cocaine can narrow arteries and cause heart attacks that in the case that they do in that way is often not treatable. And so I think for the wider audience of people who may be using cocaine, it's something to bear very strongly in mind. 
For this caller, I would suggest that she gets her son seen by a cardiologist just to check everything over. Uh, somebody else, Robert, says, my child was born with a congenital heart defect and had open heart surgery to correct at six months old. He's now seven years old and has no complications. Is he at higher risk of serious illness from COVID than other kids of the same age? It depends on the surgery that he actually had done. Okay. Uh, he probably has, a, there's, there's a lot of different surgeries in fairness. So it depends kind of what the underlying problem with the heart was. Uh, he may be able to function with a slightly abnormal heart, but sort of the degree of what that is would require more clarity. Most of my practice is with adolescents and adults, so seven years of age, a little bit younger than that. But there's plenty of pediatric. In fact, we have a pediatric cardiologist here at the hospital, I'm sure, would very willingly answer that question for that listener if they wanted to get in touch. All right. Uh, at least that, that's somebody there, yeah, who might be able to point them in the right direction if they had a bit more detail as well. Um, uh, thank you for the question. Uh, anyway, somebody else says, I'm 45, female and overweight, recently diagnosed with high blood pressure, diastolic number high. What can I do to normalize my blood pressure rather than starting on medication? Thanks a million. So this is a really common uh, presentation patient that uh, I come across. Um, it is important to identify from the weight perspective uh, what's the reason behind that. So if you have a poor diet, as we were mentioning, so if your diet has a lot of processed food, which tends to have a lot of salt in it, or if you eat an awful lot of food, well, then there are immediate areas that you can work on. So cutting out salt is a huge uh, importance. Changing processed food to the Mediterranean diet, like I mentioned earlier on, there's another diet for hypertension called a DASH diet, that's D-A-S-H, very similar to the Mediterranean diet, but it cuts the alcohol and it cuts the coffee out and it cuts the salt out. Um, and then the other aspect of this is that if you're eating too much food, you can reduce the amount of food, which is usually quite the common issue uh, in this part of the world. Um, and other ways that you can help improve your weight is that you might consider what's called intermittent fasting, which effectively means that you don't eat any food after your dinner meal, which is the time that you tend to snack most of all to put on weight. Clearly, taking exercise will help. Clearly, cutting out coffee and reducing alcohol will also help. And then if those measures aren't enough and your blood pressure readings remain high, well, then you may need to go on medication. Now, you know, where you say your diastolic is a bit high, if your diastolic is in the hundreds, you may be better off taking medication first and then allowing yourself a period of time to allow those other measures to work through. And then we can recheck your blood pressure. So mm. I have a lot of younger patients who don't want to go on tablets for long periods of time. That's the approach I tend to take. If the blood pressure is slightly up, I will go through all the lifestyle measures without using tablets. If the blood pressure is higher, I'll use tablets initially to help protect them from any risk for their heart. But I'll also introduce the lifestyle measures at the same time. And I will make an agreement with the patients. I'll try and take them off the tablets as they comply and adhere to the new changes in their lifestyle. If you're just tuning into the Hard Shoulder, Dr. Robert Kelly, the consultant cardiologist, is with me for the Hard Shoulder Health Check. This week, Sean in County Offaly, Robert says, how successful are ablations? I had two carried out to date, but I've had problems recently with arrhythmia. You're going to have to explain what an ablation is to me. So an ablation is where you literally put a microwave energy catheter inside the heart and you put little burns on the inside of the upper chamber of your heart and that treats a problem which is called atrial fibrillation or atrial flutter. Now, atrial fibrillation is extraordinarily common in Ireland, 
particularly in people over the age of 60, is actually, ironically, for the discussion today, has a very close relationship to high blood pressure. So people with high blood pressure are much more prone to get atrial fibrillation. So all the measures to treat high blood pressure can minimize the risk of atrial fibrillation. There's another condition that overlaps atrial fibrillation and high blood pressure, which is a breathing condition called sleep apnea, which is very common. A lot of wives will notice their husbands snoring a lot at night, which may up the risk for atrial fibrillation. And actually, one of the big treatments for atrial fibrillation and for blood pressure to minimize those risks is taking lots of exercise. So those measures of themselves can avoid the need to have an ablation. With atrial fibrillation, sometimes patients then need tablets to stop the heart from going very fast. And in some cases, people don't get the tablets to work as best as they can, despite all those measures. And those patients often get referred for an electrical procedure that tries to block where the electrical, uh, the, the increased heartbeat is coming from. In some people, the vast majority of people, it's about 80 to 90 percent effective. But it sounds like with this particular person, where it's ineffective, it might be that that electrical circuit is very hard to find. I mean, mm. you're looking for a needle in a haystack in a field is effectively what you're looking for. So it's, it can be extraordinarily difficult. But there, we, we, as an example, in the hospital here, have three uh, electrical cardiologists who deal with this sort of problem. Um, and so, you know, they're very effective at doing it because they do a lot of procedures, but uh, it's not 100% effective. And there's plenty of other measures that help. And there's plenty of other measures that help, as we've said, to minimize the risk of developing the problem in the first place. Uh, do you know what? I think we could have you in someday at four o'clock, right from the off, right through to seven o'clock <laughs> to, to get through even half the questions that have come in. And my apologies to everybody uh, who have sent in questions that I haven't had time to get to. We're going to have to get Robert back in uh, sometime soon. Robert, we appreciate your time and thanks a million for joining us. Dr. Robert Kelly, consultant cardiologist and lifestyle medicine expert at the Beacon Hospital. Like I said, thank you very much to everybody who got in touch. Thank you to everybody who got in touch right throughout the show today.